Welcome. If you listened to our talk last week, we were talking about Psalm 3 and the time when Absalom, the son of King David, tried to be king instead of him. He organised revolution against him and forced David to leave Jerusalem. The psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 61, although the heading doesn't tell us when David wrote it, it does seem likely to be a prayer that David prayed on that occasion. My name is Keith Simons, I'm a Bible teacher from England and I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. So please turn with me to Psalm 61. And in Psalm 61 you'll see the heading to the chief musician upon Nagina, a Psalm of David. To the chief musicians we've often seen means that this this psalm, this song, was for the worship of God at God's house's temple. The strange word Nagina there comes from the Hebrew. It seems to be a musical note, maybe that this was played on stringed instruments, like the harp, which of course was an instrument that David played. A psalm of David. David is the author of of this psalm. So let's begin at verse 1. And David writes, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. We see there the repetition, the parallelism it's called technically, that so often appears in the psalms. Um, Hear my cry has the same basic meaning as attend unto my prayer. Why does David repeat it? Well, maybe to emphasise it, he's in a desperate situation. He's in a difficult situation. To simply say to God, God, I want you, I want you to hear what I'm praying. I want you to give attention to me. To say that once doesn't seem to be enough. So he repeats it to emphasise it. His cry is desperate. His prayer is a prayer of great need. He needs God to hear what he's requested requesting. He also needs God to attend or to give attention to what he's praying. Because if God hears prayer, if God gives attention to prayer, and that prayer is in accordance with God's will, then God answers that prayer. God meets that need. And David was sure that he was praying what God wanted. He was praying in accordance with the will of God. Verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. From the end of the earth, from a distant place. Now David didn't really go that far from Jerusalem. He went just to the other side of the river Jordan, to the part of Israel that wasn't really in the promised land, although Israel's people lived there from the time of Moses. and But to him it was distant. To him it may as well have been the end of the earth, the furthest place in the world from Jerusalem, because he couldn't still go to the place of worship that he'd prepared for the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred box of God which showed his relationship with Israel, David couldn't still go to that place to pray. 
David still couldn't couldn't still go to the the great houses and palaces that he'd built in Jerusalem. No, he was far away. He was in a desert place or in a forest or, or a long, long way from the place where he wanted to be, from the place that he considered to be the house of God, from the place that he considered to be the place of prayer. It was difficult for him. His heart was overwhelmed, says our King James Bible. It means my heart felt faint. It means my troubles had got so great for me that, that, that I could not cope by myself. But I didn't need to cope by myself because from the end of the earth he would cry unto God. His prayer to God would be heard even at the most distant place, even far from where he wanted to be. And so he prayed his prayer, and this is his prayer, the end of verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Suppose you're in a valley and there's a flood. Well, you're going to get drowned in that flood. The water is going to come in and you're going to be overwhelmed by it. So David prays, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, not because there was an actual flood, but because troubles were threatening to destroy him and ruin him. But he says, there's a rock that is higher than me. Just as there are cliffs on the side of the valley to which someone may lead you up to a place that is safer, so there was a higher rock than David. Now a rock in the Bible is often a word picture for a place of safety, a place of security. David's place of safety and of security, as he'll soon explain, is with God. So when he says, lead me to the rock, he means take me to that safe place that I have with my God, because God is in a higher place than me, and so a safer place and a stronger place, in fact, a completely safe place and a completely strong place. If if you're on a road and the road is passing on the flat ground through a valley and in the distance you see a gang of robbers approaching you, once again, you have to get off the road onto that high place, to that place of safety and security. So maybe that's the word picture for me. There were robbers who'd attacked Absalom. And his armies had taken Jerusalem. David found himself without a place to go except to God. Oh yes, to God himself. Because in God himself, David would find security and shelter and defence because, verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Oh, this is my testimony, says David. This is what I know about God. God is my shelter. He's a place of protection that I go to. If you want, if you build a shelter to protect you from the sun or from the rain, God has been my shelter, says David. God has been the one who's kept me safe, who's looked after me. And he's also been a strong tower from the enemy. David had many enemies in his life. King Saul, the previous king, tried to kill him on many occasions. And then when David became king himself, 
all the nations around Israel opposed Israel and attacked Israel. And so what did David do? Well, he built a strong place, a tower, a high place. He chose Jerusalem to be his capital, a, a strong fortress or a castle, we might say. But David says his place of safety wasn't really Jerusalem. It wasn't really his palace, his fortress, his castle. No, because it's thou hast been a strong tower from the enemy. God, it's you who's really been defending me. It's you who's looked after me through all my life, through all my troubles, through all my difficulties. It's as if in whatever danger there was, there you had built a strong tower which I could run into and be safe when enemies were all around. And it's in you, David says, in God, that he puts his trust. Verse 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Thy tabernacle. A tabernacle is a tent. Right up till the time of King David, the house of God was a tent. His son, uh, King Solomon, built a temple, a strong building that was like a palace or a fortress to be the house of God after that. But until the time of David, God's house on this earth was a tabernacle. And then when David brought the Ark of the Covenant, that mark of God's presence with his people, when he brought that into Jerusalem, David built a special tent for it, a tabernacle. And David says, thinking of that, thinking of that place where God is present, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. My place of safety is not a city or a palace or a castle. No, my place of safety, God, is with you. And although a tent might seem a very, although a tent might seem a very weak place to be a place of safety, yet it's thy tabernacle. God, it's your house. It's a place where you are. And no enemy can defeat you, so I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Maybe David is thinking about the same wings that he talked about in Psalm 91 verse 4. There he writes about God. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. That's a word picture of the mother bird spreading her wings over the chicks to keep them safe and saying you can trust in God's wings in his protection or maybe when David writes in Psalm 61 verse 4 I will trust in the covert of thy wings he's thinking about uh, wings as in uh, fabric stretching out from the tabernacle as soon as I am under the covering of even the most distant part of God's house, God's temple. I can trust in him. I am safe with him. The word covert there means covering uh, or a place of hiding. My hiding place is with God. My refuge is with God. My place of safety is under God's wings, uh, under the, the most distant parts, under the edges 
of his tabernacle and the edges of his house, because when I am with God, I'm safe. I can trust in him. I don't need to fear danger. And then, as so often in the Psalms, we see the word selah, maybe a musical pause, maybe a word to praise God, but a point to stop and to think and to reflect on what the author of our psalm has just said. And then David has something to say about vows, promises to God. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. What promises were these? The promises that David made when he was in distress and in his trouble. He, he promised God that God would be his God and he would serve God. He said to God, verse 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Thou, O God, hast heard my vows. God, you've heard what I said when I was praying so desperately. God, I know that you're going to carry out what you have promised to do, that you're going to save me. But you might say, well, David already did serve God. He already did trust God. So why is he making new vows to trust God and serve God? Well, he's making new vows because he's in a new situation. In this new situation of danger and trouble, he wants to renew that promise to God. He wants to declare to God that he is going to be the servant of God forever. He's going to, verse 8, praise God's name forever. He's going to carry out his promises to God. God has heard them. and These are promises which God will enable him to carry out. End of verse 5. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Okay, let's take this apart. Those that fear thy name means those people who respect God, those people who follow the right and proper religion. So often we use that word religion to mean superstition and wrong religion, but those people who truly serve God. So what's David saying? God You've given me the heritage of those that serve you. The heritage. Uh, that word means an inheritance. Now, when we speak of an inheritance in English, we're thinking about the property that we receive perhaps on death from, from our parents. But Israel's people were given their land as a permanent possession. Yes, they received that land from their fathers, but that land became their permanent possession. It could never be sold, not permanently, because it would revert back to the family every 50 years in the year of Jubilee. God has a heritage for those that respect him, for those that trust him. And David declares, God, you've given me that heritage. I have that inheritance. That inheritance is mine and it's mine forever. My relationship with you is mine forever. Yes, you've given me property rights as you've given to each family in Israel. And those property rights remain ours in Israel for as long as we continue to be faithful to you. But you've given me a greater heritage than that. You've given me the heritage of a right relationship with you. You, God, 
You are my strong possession. You are my possession forever. It's you who, who I have received. And it's your gift to me, that right relationship with you. It's that gift which enables me to serve you and to continue to serve you. Yes, says David, I've had to leave Israel proper. I've had to go to the wrong side of the River Jordan. I can no longer go to the land that God has promised me in Israel. But I've not lost the heritage of those that fear thy name. I've neither lost my land in Israel, which God says will return to my family in the year of Jubilee, if not sooner. I've not lost my position as king, because God's given that to me too. And I'm going to continue to serve him as king for the rest of my life. I may not be in charge of a country, but God can restore my rule and he will restore my rule because from David's rule, the rule of King Messiah must come. Verse 6, thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. In the Hebrew, there's a bit of repetition here. Um, it could be translated as literally, thou wilt add days to the days of the king and his years for generation and generation. And we get that repetition again in verse 8, because whereas our version says that I may daily perform my vows, the Hebrew is that I may day to day perform my vows. It's part of the poetry of the psalm. But what about its meaning? Thou wilt prolong the king's life. Prolong means lengthen it. Yes, it looked like David was finished. He'd lost his capital city. He'd lost his palace. His son had taken authority over well nigh the entire country. But David prays, thou wilt prolong the king's life. You will add days to the days of the king. You will restore me to being king and to serving you because you, God, have appointed me to be king. And uh, you will Add to my years. I will serve you for many generations. Now, David served God as king for 40 years, which meant, of course, that more than one generation, one group of people living at any one time, succeeded another in Israel during his rule. But that, of course, is just a couple of generations. David looked beyond his own life his own rule, because his rule was also the rule of the Messiah. God's Messiah was beginning his rule, we could say, in David. And so when he speaks of David's rule as being for many generations, well, David is thinking as much about King Messiah's rule and how the Messiah will always rule and serve God. So these problems with Absalom, David's son, they were temporary problems. These troubles that David had would not last because God was carrying out his purposes. God had established David's rule so that the rule of David's son, the King Messiah, we mean Christ, of course, would in the course of time be established and would be completed. And when the troubles of this world and of this generation and of this time are ended, 
when the troubles of our present age are over, then you may be sure that King Messiah, that Christ, will rule and will rule in power and his kingdom will never end. Verse 7, he shall abide before God forever. Oh yes, David abided. He had a place to live with God forever. David went to heaven and of course his place there is abiding before God forever, abiding or living in God's tabernacle in heaven under the cover, the protection of God's wings, verse four, sorry. But King Messiah will not just abide before God, but he will have his place ruling before in front of God always. His kingdom without limit, ruling over all things, ruling over all people. That is the kingdom which David looks forward to in prophecy here. And then he prays, O oh, oh, preserve mercy and truth, which may, sorry, O oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. Two different ways we can understand this. Firstly, mercy and truth. These are the things which a country needs for its king, its ruler to be strong. He needs to be a merciful, kind king who cares about people and he needs to be a king who stands for truth. In other words, justice, right judgments. And what preserves a country? What keeps it going? What makes it strong? It's mercy and truth. It's kindness and justice. So maybe David is asking God to preserve mercy, sorry, to prepare mercy and truth to preserve the kingdom of David and to preserve the kingdom of the coming Messiah. But maybe David means something else. Maybe this mercy and truth are what belongs to God. Because no kingdom can be strong without God supporting that kingdom. And how does God support a kingdom? How did God support David? How will God support the King Messiah? Well, it's by God's mercy, his kindness to the king, and by God's truth, which can also mean his faithfulness. The fact that God carries out his promises, the fact that we can always trust God. So maybe David is saying to God, God, you prepare your mercy, your kindness and your truth, your faithfulness that are going to keep David on the throne and restore him to Jerusalem, but more than that, which are going to keep the Messiah as king, ruling forever and ever in the power of God his Father. Verse 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Vows, remember, means promises. David wants from day to day to perform the promises he's made for God, to God. He wants from day to day to be loyal to God, to give honour to God, to serve God in every way, to remain close to God, abiding in his tabernacle, verse 4, being there at the tent of God, the house of God, to serve God. And he declares that 
he will therefore sing praise to the name of God forever. The name signifies God's character. So he's saying, I will praise you, God, for your wonderful character. This is what I've promised to do. This is what I will do. Day by day, my praise will come before you. My God, my Saviour, the one who's going to rescue me from my current troubles, the one who's going to rescue the world from the troubles that go on in it and establish the rule of your King, the Messiah, forevermore. In a moment, I'll read you the whole of Psalm 61. But first, my email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. I won't be adding your name to any mailing lists or anything like that. I'd just love to hear where this podcast has gone to and whether it's been a blessing to you. Please write to me, 333kjv at gmail.com. And now here is the whole of Psalm 61. To the chief musician upon Nagina, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. <laughs> 